Leave it to you. You're the host. No, host, I mean, hostess that, with the mostest. That's totally fine. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another amazing edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter. How you doing? And joining me today are my two amigos. First off, all the way from you know where. You know him, you love him, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Howdy do. I liked how you said that, actually. Thank you. Thank you. I've been practicing it all week. Can you say it in an American accent? Howdy do. (laughs) That's a little little, uh, southern fried twang in there. All right. You're picking it up. Very good. Do you say y'all yet? Yeah. Yeah. If if I ever say fixin' to in a sentence, though, I do ask that somebody shoot me. (laughs) Has Has your family overseas picked up on your Texas... Uh, affectations? Uh, I mean, you know, they've been saying for the last five years, you sound funny now. Yeah. Which is what everyone in Texas has said for the last eight years, so, you know. (laughs) You're kind of screwed one way or the other. Yeah, basically. All right, and then the uh, third part of this trio is your hero and mine, founder and editor of thirddegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from Toyota Stadium, because given the amount of people in the stands, it was about the safest place I've been since this pandemic started. All right. Well, our heroes are undefeated in their last four. Now, three of those were uh, zero, zero. Two of them were zero zero draws and one was last night's one one draw. But they did get a big win against Minnesota last Saturday. So, Buzz, everybody's feeling really optimistic about where this thing is going, right? Hooray, FC Dallas. Well, they certainly are up to fourth in points per game. So, you know, you got to like that part. But, um, you know, obviously we still have concerns about the offense. You know, the, the, the 3-1 explosion against Minnesota makes you feel good. But um, <laughs> if you feel positive about that tie uh, last night, the one they should have won and didn't and, and only had five shots, then obviously there, there still are some serious concerns. Dan, I'm, uh, can you explain to me exactly what Lucci ball is? Like if, I, if, if just some random uh, soccer fan uh, you met in a bar came up to you and you told them you were an FC Dallas fan and they said, how do they play? And you said, oh, they play Lucci ball. And they were like, what the hell is Lucci ball? How would you describe Lucci ball? I'd probably tell them it's Quidditch without the uh, brooms. <laughs> um <laughs> That's that's a complex discussion. Probably. Wait not a second. To be hold, had on, in a bar, hold on. Hold on. Stop right there, uh, Buzz. You officially now have a new third degree T-shirt to sell. Yeah. <laughs> a, qu- a Quidditch without brooms, Lucci ball shirt. Lucci ball, yeah. big letters, Lucci ball underneath it. <laughs> Quidditch without broomsticks. Yeah. <laughs> we can do this. Make it look like a dictionary definition. Uh, yeah. I'll get started on it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, excellent. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that was awesome. No, no, I was, I was going to say, that's, uh, that's probably a terrible discussion to have uh, after a few beers in a bar, and I'm, you're not going to find me in a bar anytime soon. Um, you know, it's definitely uh, an increasingly complex discussion. You know, we, we started out talking about the the possession and the high press intensity, and, and each week, Lucci's factoring in a little bit more, whether it's, uh, you know, switching to the back three and playing around with the midfield and 
eternally and, and everything that comes with that. Uh, you know, just to kind of sidestep a little bit, you mentioned, uh, you know, nobody should be happy. And one thing I noticed is I was on the the, the press calls yesterday since they're doing Zoom calls after home and away games now. And they all seemed really happy with the point. Um, from a defensive perspective, yes, you you know you kept a team with twenty two shots to one goal and just three shots on target. That is insane. That is that's fantastic. But they should have been three nil up in the first fifteen minutes. That's uh, it's it's hard to to look at it from a level perspective and say yes that's uh, that's a point that you should be happy with as just a point okay hold on put a pin in that we'll come back to last night's game here in just a minute I, I but I do want to get back to my general question because this is the when I watch this team play I can't tell you what their style is and it and what I do notice is I see a coach uh doing an in, an incredible amount of tinkering within a game like it's not like it's not just you're not from game to game it's a different kind of formation or tactic it's literally multiple formations and different tactics within individual games and so i'm coming back to you now buzz and asking you do you know how to describe luchi ball or is that just a made-up name that doesn't actually mean anything anymore no i think it's still the same thing luchi's trying to incorporate um tactical versatility this year um, but the things that are the same are the things like the, the effectively the same are the three people in midfield that are rotating, you know, in, in either some version of a double or a single pivot that, you know, that someone tried to call a triple pivot once because guys are flip-flopping. And the outside backs, whether they're wing backs, whether they're full backs, same thing, modern uh, kind of end-to-end kind of players. He wants them to play outside in. He wants them to attack and, and the whether there's two center backs or three, it's going to be a build from the back. Um, the, the high press was always something they sort of turned on and off. Like how much they turn on and off is dependent on, you know, the, the game and the situation. So, um, you know, the things that we were initially targeting as Lucci ball, which we thought were going to be hallmarks, like the four, three, three specifically are going away in lieu of the, the sort of shifting formations. And, but even from the very beginning, we've talked about those shifting formations, how, it would compress into two lines and then it would, it would press forward into where you only had two defenders when it's on the attack. And so that, that quick transition is still important that the, the possession too much possession, too much slow build is part of it. I don't like that part, but it is part of it and pressing when they feel like it's right. I mean, the, the early opportunities and at sporting all came from press. So it's all there. It's just that when they lost control of the midfield, then it turned into a low block, sit and counter which is like something oscar would have done that's uh that's kind of you know when we talk about the the, the tinkering you know at halftime uh you went into halftime on saturday luchi ball numbers are there the in passing possession um uh, you know the areas of passing everything and then they kind of threw that out the window seeded possession kind of went into more of that oscar perea counter attack and that we you know, we we call it Luchi ball, but maybe when we refer to that, we don't necessarily associate as heavily. And again, last night that that was the start of the game, and then they, well, last night was was totally different. They got to twenty minutes in, Acosta goes off, and you know, like you say, it, it went into more of a low block. Uh, you know, I, I guess 
we always refer to Luchi Ball like it's it's one individual style and it's it's really uh, a culmination of several. Yeah, and and that's kind of the point to this is is that what we've seen uh, since the restart is. Uh, something different uh, multiple times within a game and the the there was a pretty stark difference just between the two games since the last time uh, you guys recorded a pod without me uh, a week ago which is uh, you know the this win in Minnesota that looked good and I thought the real standout difference was the team's speed at going forward and then unleashing Fafa Pico who has you know the wherewithal to actually take on his defender um, which he did multiple times, at least once, to great effect. And and when Fafa Pico comes off the field, man, it just and especially when we start to address this whole issue about what's going on with Michael Barrios, there just doesn't feel like there's any real uh, attacking verve to this team. Um, I, I, man, I I couldn't tell you how many times specifically in the Kansas City game and in the two Nashville games and even in the Houston game where I, I just stopped counting how many times somebody receives a ball somewhere in the middle of the field and they have all this space in front of them. They're not under pressure. They don't have a mark. They've got all this space to go forward with the ball and their first immediate reaction is just to immediately play the ball backwards or laterally and 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 that was to me the big difference between the Minnesota and the Kansas City game last night. Yeah, even when you go back to the Nashville games, we we all talked about how one-dimensional and slow FC Dallas looked. Some people use the word old as well. And then again, Minnesota game, when you brought Fafa in and he brought that vertical component to the wing, which Barrios used to bring, but it isn't for some reason. I mean, he is positionally, but it's not resulting in anything. So um, there's, there absolutely is a gear missing to this team when they don't have Pico because either Cobra or Hara both are slow, right? Pepe is much quicker than those two guys, but is not necessarily what you'd call blistering fast, but he's quick enough, certainly compared to the other guys. And when he subbed in for Barrios, he brought some of that vertical component as well. So um, when, the, when you don't have that second gear, you don't have that alternate gear, you're going to be, you're gonna be missing part of your tactical uh, ability and, and ability to break guys down for sure. Especially when we know that people love to low block against this team and make it impossible for them to break down. So going back to the Minnesota game, uh, Dallas kind of unleashes a bit of a flurry and grabs a 2 nothing league very quickly. Uh, and then the game kind of settles and ultimately to the point where, men, you know, clearly uh, the hairdryer got pulled out in the Loon locker room at halftime because they came out and put their uh, foot to the you know, pedal to the metal and really came at Dallas hard to the point where Lucci had to make a significant tactical change that ultimately paid off for the team. Yeah, he actually went through three shapes in the second half. Uh, the first thing he tried to do was um, go to a more single double eight look to try and get an extra sort of player in there uh, outside the box where Dan had highlighted all those sh- shots are coming from, and that didn't work. And so then he brought in a three-man back line, and that did work because that created an extra center back to be able to aggressively charge some of those shots combined with a legit double pivot. And so that solved that problem. Well, at that point, Kansas City started using the wide areas above the Dallas wingbacks to fire balls in and cut in from there. So then they went to that 3-4-3 version when they brought on Reynolds to bring and put Barrios and Reynolds out wide to try and double up out there. And that solved that problem. So um, that was actually one of the times where it was fun because of the five subs, which I hate, obviously. When you have that ability, you can tinker like that and Lucci can try four different formations in a game. So there is a positivity to that. We just wonder, big picture, if 
all these different changes can be over cluttering these young kids. And, and is there enough consistency that you can really develop a good team and good concept? Dan, do you, do you feel like the team responds well to these kind of significant tactical shifts in the course of a single game? I think it can be, certainly be difficult. We saw uh, Ryan seem to to struggle a little bit when switching from well, and and Johnny Nelson for when switching from really being a fullback to the outright wing back with, with a back three. Um, was able to ask Brisson in one of the press conferences, and he said, "You know, it's it is really difficult when when those roles change." But some of the other players. Uh, faced with the same question said no it's just we know in this situation we have this responsibility in that situation we have that responsibility and it's just on us to learn the playbook as such um you know soccer is a young man's game with uh, developing minds and everything and sometimes you know you, you see younger players getting caught out in those moments unfortunately so when you go back to the Minnesota game, uh, you know, it's been a week now or almost a week since that game was played. What is your general uh, remembrance? Do, are you, is, do you have a positive feeling about how the team played, Buzz? I do because um, the long extended 30 minutes extra at halftime deflated FC Dallas to a certain extent, you know, and let made them sort of flat. It's We've seen... I think Dallas has occasionally not dealt well with those rain delays. It certainly Brian Acosta didn't. Um, but I felt like the first half was really, really good. And I, and we've talked about Fafa and that was really, really good, you know, and, and Nelson looks pretty solid on defense. So, you know, some of the things they're trying for the first half looked great. And then once you have the rain delay, it's like, it's a new game almost. Right. So, I mean, Minnesota literally changed four players at halftime. They almost changed half their team, completely different team. You're facing, without any sort of prep for what they were going to change and how they were going to do it. So the second half is was really a micro study and how you a coach rapidly tried to adjust to deal with that complete re, reworking of the Minnesota team. So in those two ways, I feel good about the Minnesota game. And then on the road in sporting, uh, I feel good about the defensive side of the team from that game. So there are positives, but you know, it's still just not, it's still a work in progress. There's a foundation upon which a good team could develop. I, I'm asking the question because um, uh, I, I remember the game, but I don't. It's been it's been so many days now. I'm not completely. Uh, I don't feel like I have a full memory of the game. I just remember Dallas playing very well very early, and then suddenly Minnesota seemed like, especially after the rain delay, uh, uh, put far more intent and and spirit into the game, and it really got a little bit dicey. Um, uh, Dan, I'll, I'll follow up with you. Do you feel like you have overall good feelings about the win against Minnesota? Yeah, it was it was definitely uh yeah, I I'd certainly look back on it as a game that Dallas played more of a, a reactive style in the second half and they did so in a great way. Uh, you know, Adrian Heath made four changes, he brought in that high press. He uh, he posed a lot of questions and you know, Lucci and the team did answer them. Uh I, I don't know, I, you know, I'm not sure what what more they can do than that? Minnesota haven't been completely horrendous uh, since then, and it, it certainly looked a lot more positive uh, than I guess what we can use as a benchmark in those. Are we happy? Are we uh, kind of pissed at moments? Is is those two Nashville games? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you would think that, especially after the two Nashville games, uh, that was uh, a good result for the team. Now, I want to go, uh, we'll get into individual players here in a little bit, but I do want to discuss the incident, uh, which always pops up, you know, pops up on a regular basis in different leagues and different teams where one guy is a regular, you know, assigned to be the penalty kick taker. And in this case, it's uh, Rito Ziegler. And then somebody comes in and wants to take it and is either allowed to do it and something bad happens or is not allowed to do it. And you begin to wonder if there's something more to the story than it is. So that happened when uh, Barrios got the penalty kick very, very late in the game and added time. Uh, Rito runs up to take it and Frank O'Hara comes over and asks him if he can take it because obviously he needs a goal and he leaves with his head uh, looks a little bit dejected and I and uh, Buzz you even said he was pissed about not being allowed to take it yeah he was sort of halfway down the tunnel (laughs) as the game was ending Um, I'm of two minds about the whole thing I mean generally speaking I'm in favor of one guy being the guy you know, Lucci has said you want multiple PK takers, but I'm okay with having a guy be the, the, the dude because of the confidence that you build up by taking them frequently. Um, now, Haro did take a lot of them in, with Pachuca, so he's perfectly legitimate answer. Um, you know, I, I do also buy the give my new striker a goal theory, but that's fine. He was going to get one eventually. My biggest takeaway was that I would have liked to have Lucci have – seen this coming, you know, when you know your new striker is a PK taker and you know you already have a PK taker, Ziegler is the captain, so he made the call, and that's fine. Lucci seems to be have, be okay with that being the way it went down. I would have just liked to have that discussion have been worked out ahead of time by your coach and your captain, you know, and, and recognizing that a new striker is the PK taker from where he came from. Did uh, Lucci comment, or was he asked about the incident at all after the game, or – uh, on the, the on week? the call during the week, yeah, that's what he said. Was basically he's happy to let the players work it out amongst themselves, and he would step in if he needed to. And right. then you know Ziegler's his captain, so that's fine. All but right. he does so, like the idea. That he did he did follow up and say that he likes it that multiple guys are capable and want to take it. So okay, but I'm going to ask another question. Uh, if uh, Ryan Hollingshead or uh, Cobra or hmm, I'm going to think of somebody else here, Jesus Freya. Any of those guys uh, were, were the ones that came up and asked R- uh, Rito to take it. Is there any chance Rito allows them to do it? No. Okay. I don't so think this, so. So you think this is, an, this is a function of Rito being a, hey, this is the rule, this is the setup, we're doing it this way, and not a function of maybe Frank O'Hara hasn't exactly ingratiated himself with his teammates quite yet to the point where he can earn PK-taking uh, uh uh, ability. Well, I 100% think that uh, Ziegler thinks it's his job and that he's going to take them, period. I 100% think that. I do also think that Hara has not ingratiated himself into the team yet. Lucci even discussed that the other day when he talked about how Hara had, had not trained with the team at all up until like a couple of days before the first game he played. You know, he is a player getting paid a whole bunch of money. He has come in and, by all reports, not destroyed it in training. You can watch him run around and tell that he's not exactly super quick or anything, you know. And he's a player that's been distracted by buying a house and moving and having a baby. So I totally also buy the idea that that Hara has not ingratiated himself into the team. But the answer is Ziegler believes that's his job, and he's he takes free kicks and he takes penalties. That's what it is. All right, Dan, you got an opinion about this? Uh, yeah, um, you know, I think it's all nice and well getting them on the on the scoreboard, but 
you know, in such a confidence position, do you really want that asterisk next to? Oh yeah, I've scored. Yeah, it was it was a penalty. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm I'm doing well. Um, to me, it's you have you have a penalty taker, designated penalty taker, and the only real exception is if someone's on two goals. Oh, for a hat trick. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll set that aside, and I'm sure if uh, it comes up again down the road, we can talk more about it then. Anything else about the uh, win, the 3-1 win over Minnesota, anybody would like to discuss um, before we move on to last night's game? Well, real, real quickly, I just wanted to say that I thought that was Jesus Ferrer's best game as a 10 since maybe middle of last year. I mean, we don't need to go into it deeply because he hasn't done very well in that position, and then he turned around and had a stinker. Uh, at Sporting too, but um, he was particularly good in the Minnesota game, I thought. Not just because he scored, because of the way he played. I was just going to say it was really funny that FC Dallas went exactly six months uh, between wins. Wow, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't realize that stat. Six months. I mean, obviously it's not, well. I, it's I, pandemic, yeah. I guess, you, <laughs> I guess uh, a, few, a week earlier wouldn't have been that big a difference if they had beaten Nashville at least once. So uh, well, That's okay. what makes it funny. It wasn't like they were terrible for six months. It was right. they just had that extended break. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that is interesting. All right, so the boys loaded up on a uh, super plush, Hunt family charter flight and took it up to uh, Kansas City and played Sporting KC to a 1-1 draw last night. Man, that was uh, that game last night was all sorts of weird. Yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, for, for like 20 minutes, Brian Acosta looked like a world beater. He looked amazing and then had to go out. And then from then on, the Dallas midfield got dominated by a 19-year-old uh, Busio, who was fantastic. Uh, it was a really weird game. Dal should have had two or three goals in the early, and I even think Lucci even said that. He said, we should have won that. That's what we need to talk about. So. Yeah, that game, that game started off with uh, Sporting KC looking like their entire back end of their, uh, of their truck had fallen off, and they were just begging Dallas to score goals. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately for a couple of botched opportunities, it probably, to everybody's, I think we all agree, it probably should have been at least been 2 nothing, uh, if not 3 nothing, within the first, what, 10, 15 minutes of the game. Well, the back end of their truck had fallen off. They were missing... Their three best, three of their four best attackers, their best center back. The left back was playing right back. The center back was playing left back. They brought in a couple of young guys. They, they were makeshift. Yeah, but they had also now. What was their situation when they gave up all those goals uh, at can you know at home against Houston a few days before? Was it the same situation? No, so they're just uh, they're just an increasingly slow team. Uh, wing back get really high up the field, and against Houston, that just kept happening. Houston were breaking, the wing backs were in the opposition half. Um, I get why they wanted to change things up against Dallas because the same thing's going to happen. Well, mm. if maybe if Fafa Pico was fit, but in theory, the same thing's going to happen. Um, but you know. The so, rash of injuries was crazy too. That, that that by halftime you had to use three subs already. That was crazy. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But Dan brought up a point uh, earlier uh, when he made a comment that he was surprised to hear how pleased or the positive tone that Dallas people, the coach and other players, had about getting a point in Kansas City. And I, 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 are do you guys have the same feeling about that result last night or performance? 
Although I certainly don't know. I think it's a performance given the circumstances of what happened on the field. You know, the idea that like, oh, I'm happy with a point in Kansas City doesn't, you would say that without looking at the game. If you look at the game for 20 minutes until Acosta got hurt, Dallas was the dominant team. They should have dominated that game. They should have won that game handily. They had created enough chances to have won that game. It's only when you get a bunch of guys hurt and then you have to struggle and fight and claw to hold on. Okay, maybe then you're happy you got a point, but um, certainly you should have won, and the performance for the last 60 minutes was terrible. So I don't know how you could think any of that was positive, frankly. Uh, Dan, let's talk about Acosta a little bit. We we lauded his performance, at least first-half performance against Minnesota, uh, and he clearly had uh, another good game going for him. Uh, what do you think this, the change has been that has gotten him playing better since some of the poor performances since the restart? Um, I don't think he reads the game particularly well. So if you tell him to play in a double pivot, he's his mindset is I am purely going to stay here as a defensive midfielder, giving him the freedom to play more as a you know a link in six or in that case kind of like that uh, link in eight sorry or, or more as that kind of higher rate he you know he seemed to actually feel the freedom of you know being able to actually make runs and and you know make some positive passes it's at least to me maybe buzz disagrees with me maybe you disagree with me but i, I just feel with him it's it's entirely a, a mindset and mental issue there yeah, I think he just got some instructions from his coach. You know, there was some talk from Lucci that they were trying to build a, I don't think they're crazy, but sort of a defensive base against Nashville, almost treating it like preseason in a way. He didn't say that, but that's kind of the way I took it. Um, and then they wanted to try and implement things. So I think basically what happened was is that Lucci just eventually was like, okay, Brian, now it's time to do these things. And so then he did them. I agree with Dan that it's like he's not necessarily taking license on his own enough, and that's kind of what, you know, Absolutely. now then he did, and then it got better. Actually, Lucci did say that because I asked him uh, what was, you know, what he saw wrong with uh, Acosta getting forward and that hole that was being created. And he said, first two games, we wanted to create a defensive base. Now we're starting to get, now we've got a clean sheet. We can move on. Yeah, it was the pre. He didn't call it preseason like I did. That's the part he didn't say. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, but yeah, yeah exactly like preseason. Okay, so uh, Brian Acosta has been here now into his second season. He's the largest transfer fee the club's ever uh, ever paid. Uh, you know, are, is Lucci getting out of Brian Acosta what the team paid for or expected? Uh, and even if you want to put it in the context of these two performances, is that what we should expect out of Brian Acosta? Or is there another part of the game that we're still waiting for? No, I think if you could get 90 minutes like the first half against Minnesota and the first 20 minutes against um, uh, Sporting, if you if that extrapolates to complete games and extrapolates to several games, then yes, you are. But that's what you need is that player. But that's the problem is that he doesn't do it every game. He, he's getting banged up too much. There's mental inconsistencies when he checks in and out. I mean, the Minnesota game, he clearly checked out in the second half, you know. Okay, but I, but a real quick question, and, and from a tactical point of view, and maybe you can explain this, Buzz, is the difference between the first half of Minnesota, the second half of Minnesota, and this 25 minutes he put in at Kansas City, uh, is there something similar about those good performances that are related to how Lucci uh, put him out on the field versus the tactical changes he made in the second half against Minnesota that may be the part of the, of why his game went up and down between those, those three different uh, parts of 
two day, of two games. If no, that I don't, the sporting sense. game, the sporting game, the taxes were uh, the same through you know big chunks of the game, most of the game until he went out anyway, for sure. Um, as compared then, to the first half yeah, against Minnesota, and it was the same as the it was the same as what it was against the first half of Minnesota, and in fact, when the second half of Minnesota should have freed him. Uh, the second half against Minnesota was like, sorry, the first half of the sporting game. Ah. The first half of the Minnesota game was different, but it shouldn't be different. It should be the same. It should be the same role, whether you're sitting in a double or a single. He should have used the same ability to go forward and backwards. That's the whole thing about Lucci Ball and those three rotating central midfielders, right? The only time that it really changes is when you go to three men at the back, then there's definitely a change. So it's really just instructions to... You know, it's not like he became a six. Tiago Santos is still in there and is still the six. The only difference is about a 10-yard variation of where you line up slightly higher up the field. And the fir- the first half of the Minnesota game matches, does not match. The second half of the Minnesota game matches the sporting game. And you saw the same performance. So it's not that. It's not that part. It's okay. just, you just here's what you're supposed to do and do it. All right, so uh, the game in Kansas City last night as we uh, started was wheels off. Uh, it was um, it was super quick turnaround. It's the first time the team, well, I guess, I, I don't know if you count Houston as an in-and-out flight because it's such, I mean, that is such an insanely short flight. The Kansas City flight is probably twice the length of the Houston flight, but the, the whole going to town, getting there, playing a game, getting back on a plane, coming home is somewhat new to the team. Um, and then with the injuries and the changes, the Morrow injury and all of that stuff, is there any real solid takeaway, good or bad, overall that you can pull from the Kansas City game, Dan? It's over. <laughs> I was looking for some more uh, deep insight from you than that, but if that's all you got, um, no, I think I, I think we saw uh, desperation defending that, that sometimes you'll need something that I guess maybe past exits from the playoffs uh, Dallas could have used thinking to uh, not last season but times where they've they've played uh, on the road against Wesley or at home um, against Seattle and you know those away goals uh, defeats where uh, where they just kind of coughed up a lead very early on and then we're left chasing the game uh, seeing with a com- uh, I think Brisson and Nelson combined for seven blocks and <laughs> and 15 clearances, a couple of interceptions, five tackles. You know, that we saw big performances from guys that really we haven't thought of as big performance guys in the back, maybe potentially liabilities. That's, that's definitely a, a positive. Um, you know, we can always say, hey, uh, Goat Beck finally made his debut. That's that's cool. So okay, then let's let's dig into this amazing stat about all the blocks. And yeah, I even thought Johnny Nelson was man of the match. Buzz, you had him and Brisson. I think we've all enjoyed the still photo of the ball literally imprinted on <laughs> yeah. Brisson's ribs after he took that shot from Duke. Um, I, all of that's entertaining, but I, you know, w- with the, the stat of all of the blocks and the amount of shots that, uh, that Kansas city was to, was able to get off in the game, 
Buzz, can you help us understand how they got to the point where where Kansas City was able to produce those many opportunities in the course of 90 minutes? Well, it's partially it's because uh, they Kansas City overran the midfield and took control of the midfield once Acosta went out. I know we're harping on that, but um, part of the reason you're able to do that is that Nelson is a defensive first player, and Ryan Hollingshead on the right side is a is not the dynamic end to end player that he is on the left. Now, as an example of this, I'll, I'll tell you some of Johnny Nelson numbers. Right, clearly teams are uh, high pressing him specifically. He had zero passes into the offensive third against Sporting, not a single one. And he only missed seven passes. He only had seven incomplete passes, which sounds terrific, right? But six of the seven misses were from his defensive third, and five of them were from deep in the corner when the team's pressing him. Or he's just clearing it. He's just clearing it, and it's not going to anybody. So there's no build. The left side is a complete disconnect in terms of a build-out. And we saw that against Minnesota when Maurer only passed two balls to his left for the whole game. And then and they were early, and then he quit, and then he went right every time short after that. And he started blasting it to Fafa Long every time he went left. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> if you're outside backs in a modern Lucci ball, whether it be a three-man in the back line with their wing backs or whether they're full backs, if they don't come up, and support those three central midfielders, effectively making a five-man midfield. If they don't do that, when you have high wings, there's these big giant gaps on the outside, and the over in the middle middle of the midfield gets overwhelmed, and the other team has the ball the whole time, and that's what's happening. That's why you've seen two straight games of this happening for Dallas. Okay. Now we like the defensive base that Johnny has built. You know, if you look back to the Minnesota game, uh, something Dan had noticed is that they attacked 41% of their attacks were down that side attacking Reto and Nelson as well. So while you, the kid's doing a nice job defensively and while Ryan is okay over there on the right, you've lost your dynamic Reggie Cannon right, Ryan Hollingshead left, exciting outside backs coming forward and overloading the midfield. So... You know, that's a thing that Lucci's going to have to work on over the course of the next few games. Maybe Brian Reynolds is part of that factor. Maybe Johnny Nelson just needs time to play in. Maybe Ryan Hollinshead needs time to play in. But it's part of what's not going correctly in terms of holding the ball and playing Lucci ball. All right. And just a, a quick side question about that. Are, are you as surprised as I am that Brian Reynolds wasn't ready to go the second Reggie was done playing for this club? Yeah, I consider that a failure, actually. Um, they've known for a year and a half that Reggie Cannon was trying to leave. And they've known for quite a while that Brian Reynolds was who they wanted to become the next right side out, outside back. Right. And we talked, remember last year when Reggie was going to be gone one game for a call up and we were like, well, where's a great chance to play Reynolds. And he didn't, he played Brisson at right back. And then all of a sudden Reggie was gone for like two months and it became like five or six games. And it was like, why aren't you using Reynolds? And it may cost you a game or two, uh, you know, at some point, I don't think it will, but I thought hypothetically could, you know, it's like you have failed to get this kid ready and now Reggie's gone and he's not ready. And so you're doing you're you've broken left back to try and fix right back. I hate when they when coaches do that, when they break one other position to try and fix a position, just fix the one position. So I consider it a complete mistake on Lucci's part. Yeah, I uh, my big observation uh, of this whole setup is Ryan Hollingshead continues to really underperform when he's asked to play on the right side of the defense. No question. Whether it be as a fullback or a wingback, he's just not as effective. He almost cost them the game last night. That insane centering pass that he tried to make to ten, uh, to Tessman that went straight to a, a KC player uh, was 
I mean, obviously he's super tired and gassed at that point, but that was such an unlike Ryan play to make. And to your point, uh, uh, you know, that's as as much as I really like Johnny's defensive skills, he just doesn't make any efforts to beat guys very often when he's on the ball on the right side, unless he's been given some space. Ryan is at really good ability to let a guy pressure him and then turn him and go, uh, which he does a lot from the left side, but he doesn't seem to do it much from the right. Yeah, I, I would go so far as to say that um, uh, Ryan on, at right is a problem. You know, I call oh, it a I problem. Yeah, yeah. No, and even yeah. and even Ryan on the conference call, we had him on the Zoom call. I think it was a week ago. I asked him about that, and he said that he absolutely feels out of sorts on the right. It's it's uncomfortable for him. He's so used to playing on the left. Now, could he work into it and become as good? I mean, maybe, probably, but you know, part of the thing with him, as you say, that ability to turn is because he's on the opposite foot. Yeah, that's why he plays outside in and goes underneath all the time. All right. And we've got there's so many weird little talking points. I don't think we need to spend too much time on all of them. But I do. uh, Dan, can you tell anybody who doesn't know already what the reason why Matt Hedges was subbed out at halftime? Yes. Uh, So I I asked Lucci after the game yesterday uh, for an update on on what happened with Hedges. And he said he took a knock to the head. They're not going to call it a concussion, but they just felt yeah, of it was they're not. <laughs> a good precaution at that point. And, you know, with Hedges has got a history of concussions. Dallas has got a history of centre-backs getting career-ending concussions. So, yeah. yeah. And then after we saw Brisson get hammered with two shots in the space of five minutes, probably a smart decision. Maybe less so when we saw Ryan play as the third centre-back and, and the pressing centre-back. If you look at Hedges' numbers, you can tell he was off uh, in that game. They're not the same as they usually are. And that also, by the way, was the first time I've ever watched Brisson play centre-back in a two-man back line and thought that it actually was good enough. <laughs> that he actually was, oh, all right, that's fine then. That was the Brisson we were told to expect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, boy, he is a circus act, and, and he certainly is a guy that when when his actions pay off, they pay off huge. But, man, that is a high-wire act he's, uh, he's putting on back there as a center back. Um, so then I uh, – so we talk about that. So And then let's talk about the weird Jimmy Morrow injury and, and the oddity of how that's going to play out now because – I, you know, I had totally forgotten until Mark mentioned it. There's that whole new Brazilian goalkeeper that's in town. Yeah, he gets out of quarantine this week. Um, and given how fast uh, Ricarte got his visa, I mean, maybe this kid will be ready to go pretty quickly too. I mean, ho- hopefully the McCaff's not too bad. Hopefully uh, Mar will be back because, I mean, we all like Kyle, but there's definitely a drop-off from Jimmy Maurer. And, and we'll have to find out. We may find out really quickly how good this kid from Brazil really is. Uh, and did we have we heard anything more or additional about Jimmy's calf injury? No, not specifically. No, I just said uh, he was feeling something in his calf. Uh, I mean, it didn't look too bad. It looked he was going to continue, and he was trying to wave Reto off when the field mics even picked Reto up saying, hey, let me take the kicks. You you know, that's not going to be good for you. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, you know, we've all had a, a tear or a pull in our calves at some point. It is a absolute bitch to even walk sometimes. So I was somewhat surprised at the level of understanding uh, across <laughs> different resources of the rule about substitutions. I thought everybody understood the new substitution rules with five available players and three uh, and three opportunities and halftime as an additional one. 
But that certainly paid off for, for uh, Lucci, who had to make two substitutions very early in the game. Yeah, the, the, the misunderstanding is the three opportunities. People didn't understand that that didn't include halftime. Because right? the, the whole uh, specifics of the ruling were you could only stop play, quote unquote, three times. And obviously halftime doesn't count as a stoppage of play. It's already stopped. So, you know, if you include halftime, it's four opportunities. But really it's five subs over three in-game opportunities, a fourth at halftime at halftime. So we, we, we have those two major injuries. And in comes Tanner Tessman who I was uh, really disappointed in last night. I, 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 I really can't put my finger on exactly what was keeping Tanner from playing well. I don't know if he felt like he was pushed up too far, but man, that kid had some weird brain fart moments where he just seemed switched on, switched off, not in the right place. It really was not the Tanner Tessman that we all enjoyed from the first two games pre-COVID. My assumption is that, um, you know, at, at when he started the first two games like way back in March and then, you know, we knew that by game three, he was basically losing his job because Servania uh, and Acosta were coming back. Um, you know, well, a kid's not going to see that necessarily coming. He just knows he's not playing all of a sudden. And then the pandemic happens and he come out of the back of it. He's not playing. It's early in the game. He's not expecting to be in there. Maybe he's, as a kid, maybe he hasn't super focused on the game plan because oh, I'm not starting. I don't really care. You know, I don't know. I haven't talked to him. But, uh, you know, all those things can contribute to him coming in flat. Um, and for, in his defense, Cervania was also flat and not very good. Um, you, you might even think, to, you know, if you look at some of the numbers, Tanner might even have been a little better than Cervania. Both of them got their butts handed to him by Busio, frankly. Um, it, it was not a good game in midfield. And part of that, and like I say, I think part of that comes from the fact the outside backs aren't getting up. So there's no outlet. The only outlet is back to Santos or back to a center back because the front three are also being pretty static and immobile. So even if they do turn, sometimes the outlets aren't really there. So um, it's kind of a mess in midfield right now, other than Brian Acosta, <laughs> who unbelievably now is our best midfielder. Okay. Well, speaking of Tessman, um, it's kind of one of those weird adjustments, right? Because he's gone from playing academy in North Texas almost every week to not playing a game in in a week short of six months. It, like of of any competitive variety, he's just he's just training. It's such a it's just an odd sort of mindset to have to get in, right? Of I'm playing twice a weekend, training with a couple of different teams, to now I'm just really sitting on my ass doing nothing. So that, you know, Buzz, you met your comment about the fullbacks not getting forward, I think is uh, very obvious to all of us, especially since the, the, the absence of Reggie. Um, uh, but my question is, is that, the, is that really the critical component of Lucci's desire for a three-man back line so that he can install wingbacks that have to get forward more that are, or maybe should feel more uh, safe in getting forward? Is that really the genesis of all of this about a three-man back line is to try to help get that part of the attack started? No, I don't think so. And I, th- I think Dan would agree with me. Um, the third center back... Uh, narrows the gaps and we know that from the from the uh, the opponent right side the FC Dallas left side that a gap between Reto and the outside back is a problem mm-hmm. um, because of pace so that narrows that gap Matt Head just becomes more central your best defender your guy that can cover the whole field he's more central um, it adds an extra center back who can attack when the midfielders are losing those tracks and they're coming into that middle gap, there's now an extra center back in there that can be aggressive about closing that midfielder down as he comes forward. And 
that extra center back can be more aggressive about covering the wide space too. So it's about a defensive stability and about tightening up the back line. Okay, and then let's have a conversation about uh, Tiago Santos, who has been all over the map uh, since his introduction. There have been moments where I thought, wow, they really have found themselves a really good player. And then there are, are moments, uh, sometimes in the Nashville game, a little bit in the Houston game, I thought he was really good in, in, for long stretches of Minnesota. And then last night, that guy, it, I just can't quite put my finger on uh, if we've if they have found a guy that is just a workhorse uh, that is trying to do way too much for this team, or I'm we just don't quite yet know what we've got uh, in, in Tiago Santos. I think he's trying to do a little too much, or they're asking him to do a little too much. I mean, he had six tackles, although he only won three of them, and 14 recoveries against Sporting. I mean, there was a lot of work happening. Um, with the midfield getting stomped like it was, he didn't really have a lot of help in terms of build forward. You know, so I think they're asking him to do too much. I think he'll be fine in the big picture, and I think he'll be fine once he's more comfortable in the team. I I know this sounds crazy when he's been here since what January or whatever, but um, you know he's still trying to play his way into the formation and the tactics because it really has only been six games. You know, we look at it that way. So. Dan, I'm excited think, for his potential. Yeah, Dan, do you think he can be this single pivot six on this team in the way Grezo was used when Oscar used him that way? I think so. He's he's definitely the type of player that, that Lucci was asking out for last season. Uh, you know, we'd we'd speak to him after practice, and he'd you know say, "I I, I want a guy. I want a I, I want a son of a bitch who's going to put a stamp on the midfield." And it was very Jose Mourinho of him to say. Well, he actually said he had the puta, but uh, I don't know why he felt like he had to say it in Spanish. But um, yeah, uh, maybe he was. Maybe he knows you don't speak Spanish or something. (laughs) You wouldn't be offended by it as much. I can curse in Spanish. I've worked in construction, Um, (laughs) but uh, you know, he that's what that's what Santos has been in in some degree, just kind of like plowing through guys. Last night, maybe a little bit too much. You know, he was getting kicked for a good stretch of time, and in the last 15 minutes, he completely lost his head. Um, but, you know, between that and being saddled with maybe more responsibilities than he should have in a, in a, a midfield that, as Buzz said, crumbled, uh, you know, maybe that is something to, to revisit in practice. Um, and then I, this is other another side question that just popped up in my head. Did we ever find out from Vermees why he subbed off Gerso so early in the game? Uh, I, I I think the I think Mark and Steve were shocked by that change too. Was it because of the hamstring thing at the end of the first half or man management? Did we hear anything about that? Maybe he was just tired of all the diving. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas had no answer for him. I couldn't believe they took him off. Yeah, it was uh, pretty insane. They were, he was causing a lot of trouble, uh, uh, and I was very shocked he subbed him out, but I guess we don't know the, the reason why. Speaking of Amisa's weird decisions, did you notice how much he was raging at the goal? Yes, um, and I thought I initially, and I've seen there's been an adjustment to this. I made the assumption it was because he thought Jesus uh, was offside 
when that play began to develop. If you watch the replay, he clearly isn't offside, either when the play starts or when the pass is made, neither part of that. But I, but you're going to tell me he's actually upset about something that happened way before then, aren't you? So he is upset about Jesus Ferreira and, and his position and being able to, to pressure the keeper. Um, it wasn't that Graham Smith was 10 yards, you know, keeping him 10 yards inside, but rather 20 seconds before that when Jimmy Mara kicks the ball upfield, there's six guys in an offside position, just walking back. Um, you know, SKC recovered the ball. FC Dallas players all go back into onside positions. FC, uh, SKC play four passes before uh, Jesus Ferreira... Um, no, sorry, not... Well, I guess the third pass was when Jesus Ferreira pressured Tim Melia into that garbage sideways pass that ended up getting uh, turned back to him. But, uh, yeah, Vermees felt that because Dallas was offside in the first place, a completely different phase of play before Dallas gained possession, that that should still count as an offside and that the referees got the interpretation of offside wrong. There's never been an interpretation of offside that would have said, well, not in the last 10 years at least, that would have said Dallas was offside at that point. Yeah, I have a feeling that Peter Vermees uh, yells as his mom for not putting enough salt on dinner. <laughs> he know? also, so in his in his press conference, he also mentioned the game, yeah, I think in 2015 when Blas scored and there were like three or five players offside and they were legitimately offside. Uh, <sighs> and he said, I still have a picture of that. I have a picture of that. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, I'm listening to this, and I was like, oh, that's the game I went in the locker room. And he was like, oh, there was a whole, there was a player offside in there, I'm sure of it. And I went, no, there were three. There was a moment in time where they had a, a camera shot of him, and I went, holy crap, he looks, he looks more and more like Fred Mon Herman Munster every time I see him. And I was going to post a, a, a screenshot of that, a still shot of that, and one of Herman Munster side by side, because I'm telling you, those two dudes look exactly alike, minus the bolts coming out of the neck, and I'm sure that's coming up soon. So I've got a really square head. Yeah, man, he's just got that whole kind of rectangle face thing going on. Well, uh, kudos to Vermees for being that special guy that just does nothing but complain, complain, complain. Um, let's move up the field a little bit because I do, um, I, I'm trying to figure out who we want to talk about next. I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Frank O'Hara. Um, I, I, I am Andy Swift, the guy that does the show with me over on the ticket. He's the one who has led me to buy into the fact that Haro may be the guy that you're only going to get your best out of him if he has other really top-notch players around him, and he may not be the guy by himself. Wow, uh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I suppose that's true. I, I can't. I, I'm struggling with. I can't get past the fact that he looks slow to me. Boy, he now, does look slow. Yeah, he? I mean, look, slow. There can be great slow players. Don't get me wrong, but MLS is a very vertical, very fast league, and in particular, the way FC Dallas often, not always, but often attacks with pace. So I, I, I just see a player that looks now he, he's so savvy that he often makes these great little turns and spins and he creates space. And I like all that. Now, if he's doing that a little higher in the box and he's getting more of the ball, that's going to be fantastic. But right now he's not. And right now Dallas is trying to play over the top more and that's not really, or run from deep at people. And that's not really looking that great when I see a player that looks to me a little slow, but I don't know that he's any slower than Cobra 
for that matter. Um, so I don't, I don't know that either one of those guys Whoa, okay. is going to fit well, the system. Cobra is, Cobra is frighteningly slow um, uh, for this level. And if you're telling me he's not any faster than Cobra, because uh, I, I haven't seen him play in person yet. So um, uh, that, that's pretty shocking to me. So my question, I'll ask Dan this question first. So on the opportunity, uh, was that a bad pass by Jesus or too slow, poor effort by uh, Frank O'Hara. Which one? There were a couple. <laughs> they had a breakaway where uh, uh, yeah. Jesus plays a square ball, and and O'Hara doesn't even get close to, to. He could if he had been two steps oh, yeah. closer, he would have just knocked it in. Sorry, I was thinking the one when when it was Barrios. Um, yeah, uh, that, that was a poor pass. That was it. Just wasn't weighted well. Yeah, the weight wasn't right for Hara. You have to know how fast Hara is. Now, Hara wasn't fast enough to get to it, but you have to know that. The pass has to, to be weighted better. Yeah, you, you have to play the ball into the path of any striker. They've got to uh, actually... Okay, but, I, but, he also, but he also has to play around a defender, and I was somewhat surprised Hara didn't even make an attempt to slide in for the ball. Like, I thought if he had dove at the ball, he had an opportunity to slide it in, um, and he didn't make that effort. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I saw it incorrectly. Steve Steve Davis thought it was a great pass by uh, by uh, Jesus. Then it was just that uh, Franco was too slow. Well, I think Franco was too slow to get to it. So it's part. It's it's the answer is both. I mean, Har is not fast enough to get to that ball. So you have to either play it with less heat on it so that he can yeah. get to it, or you have to get Har out of the game. I mean, it can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. But it is both. Yeah. And to be fair, uh, uh, Jesus put his hand up and, and uh, took uh, took credit or, or took blame for it after the fact. So, um, yeah. I mean, if Pepe's there, Pepe scores that because Pepe's faster than Hara. Not because he's better. I, he's just faster. Yeah. Now, on the bright side, I'm, I am pleasantly surprised to see how much effort Hara puts out in tracking back. There were several times where I was really surprised when they turned the ball over in the final third and Kansas City started uh, taking the ball out that he, you know, he got on his horse and tried to get back to the center part of the field. And, and I was pleasantly surprised to see him put in. And plus, he put in a really difficult 90 minutes last night. It was that was a that was a hard effort uh, on his part. So I'm glad to see that part of his game. I actually liked all of his game, except for the fact that he looks slow. I mean, other than that, I think the guy's fantastic. Everything about him, I like just that one part. Yeah, even when we look back at like the Nashville games, it, it wasn't so much you know the, the the biggest thing of it was he wasn't set up for success he was having to come back to the defensive midfield having to try and make break uh, runs up the left and he's not that player you want him to have balls in the final third yes use that touch to create a little bit of space and then knowing that you know with a 25 yard run potentially maybe he's just about got enough to stay ahead of the defender but giving him like a 60 yard run he's screwed um, and then we'll uh, spend a few minutes talking about what in the world is going on with little Mikey Barrios. Uh, we've made jokes about his new tattoo, but I'm also starting to wonder, am I wrong in judging him from watching him on television that he came back from the break uh, noticeably heavier uh, than he was from the start of the season? Well, he certainly looks notably less sharp. Uh, I, 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 don't, I haven't noticed that it's weight, but I definitely notice that he's off. Um, I think he needs to be sat. I think it's time to sit him down because last night against sporting FC Dallas didn't have a single shot from the right side. Not one. I know they only had five overall, but there were none on the right. And he had two key passes, which sounds great, right? Well, they were both in the middle third. He had one dribble and it was in his own half. Mm -hmm. He had one shot. 
He had four crosses. None of them found anybody. He had only one successful pass into the final offensive third. And this is my favorite part. He committed six fouls. An offensive player committing six fouls. That means that you've lost it. You lost your cool. You've lost your, you're frustrated. You're beat up. You're just doing stupid decisions, right? Yeah. I think he needs to sit. So question, uh, if in this transfer window somebody came calling and wanted to offer you some money from Michael Barrios like we've heard previously in other seasons, would you go ahead and sell him now? I'd be really tempted. How old is he? Let me double check. 29, Uh, right? 29. Yeah, Yeah. I'd sell him. I mean, you've had five five fantastic years out of him, which is rare. Great. Um, Yeah. You know, and that magic isn't going to last forever, particularly when he's kind of coming towards the end of his peak. Yeah. You can get something for him, sure. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. Play the kids. Well, plus, well, listen, you know, we're I'm talking not... about... Go ahead. We're talking about this, uh, you know, the right-hand side is suddenly, you know, completely skewed at the back, and part of it was the overlap underlap with Barrios, and if yeah. Barrios isn't performing, we saw a couple of balls last night when Reynolds got on the right and he's trying to play Barrios in. Barrios isn't, you know, instead of, like, making the run as he normally would, he's just playing it straight back to Reynolds. That's, that. you know, you're losing, you're getting a horrible imbalance right there because if Reynolds does advance and and loses the ball, Barrios isn't the kind of player to track back. Yeah, I want to be clear that I'm not, like, out on Barrios completely. I just think there's something wrong, that he's mentally off, mentally out of it. He needs a break or needs to sit down for a little while, find himself, find his game, you know, just bench him for a little bit, and he can earn it back. No big deal. I'm not saying get rid of him. But if you get a big offer, I would go ahead and consider selling him, yeah. And this happens with players, particularly fast players. You know, maybe they overdevelop the legs in the gym. That's a, you know, really common thing in in lower levels when – you know, trainers are, are few and far between. Um, you know, plenty of mental things. It could be a lot of things. You know, he could definitely get the spark back, but like you say, he needs to he needs to sit and find it. Yep. All right. Now, speaking on players that I think we unanimously are all out on would be Santiago Mascara oh, and his uh, really weird appearance last night. That that was a byproduct of Lucci just not having any other options, right? Yeah, I don't think he would have gone to him if he didn't have any other choice. And and he was terrible. A guy can't get off the bench really very much at all. And don't forget, he's one of three DPs on this team. A DP that doesn't start anyway, and now a DP that's not bringing anything off the bench. I mean, come on. The dude's clearly, to me, the guy's checked out. He played like 10 minutes of effort, and then he quit. You know, he's not beating anybody on the dribble. He's nothing's happening. And then he had the most Christian Coleman of moments with his weird little step over that he – kicked onto his wrong leg and lost the ball yeah. deep in Kansas City's half. I, Dan was kind enough to save that as a gift for me that I'm sure I will use along with my Christian Coleman kicking the uh, near post um, on occasion. Uh, yeah, I, that guy, that is a definitely a flop of a signing if this, if this team ever had one. Well, that, they, didn't, they didn't score that play as they failed dribble. I'm not sure that was funny. It's like they, they didn't, didn't even give him credit. No, it doesn't even show up. Because there wasn't anybody, he, wasn't, he never got to the attack. He fumbled it before he even got to the defender, so it wasn't scored as a dribble, just yeah. a muffed play. Well, yeah, and he took like one step by yeah. the time he got into the ball. <laughs> uh, he had done one step over, and then he and then he uh, plants his foot, and then he kicks the ball onto his standing leg, and then it falls out to the defender, who then just kind of walks away with it and passes it out. So. Yeah. 
Uh, and then he just he doesn't look fit. He doesn't he does not his effort is zero. Uh, it's uh, yeah. He's knocked off the ball way too easily for a guy with his body strength or what he looks like body strength anyway. You, but let me say this: uh, the, all of that happened after I actually was pretty pleased by two defensive actions on his part. He chased back and tackled the ball deep in their defending half, and then he won another ball a few minutes later, which I was like, "Wow, I'm uh, Santi did that. That's cool." And then all the wheels came off after that, and I was ready for him, you know, just to leave him in Kansas City. Yeah, he did 10 minutes, and then he got tired and couldn't do anything. Yeah, it was, it, That's was, kind of been his thing, like, like yeah. they give you a solid 5-10 minutes, but that's great if he's coming on the 85th minute, but when he's coming on sort of like 60th minute, you need a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so if you had to pick one, Edwin Jossi or Santiago Mascara, go. Well, picking good or bad? You got to take one and put it on the roster. Well, I'll keep Santi. Jossi actually quit and like walked off the field. <laughs> it faked an injury. I didn't know coming back from that. Yeah, Santi's soft, but at least he's never. Well, yeah. no, there was that time he went to hospital for nothing, and yeah, but he didn't quit in the middle of a game and fake an injury. That's yeah, that's no, no, no. He, if he's impressive. actually had a minor injury, if he's if he's come oh, out of the game. Crap, that's another thing we got to add to the list. Buzz is the Giassi faking oh, an injury. Yeah. I got that's totally got to go on the list. Yeah, um, yeah, it does. Uh, which I still haven't finished that. Yeah, uh, it it's just a big list. All the t- it's a good list. It's yeah. a wonderful list. The fans are going to love it. Uh, and then let's spend a couple of seconds about Jesus and his performance. Uh, you really liked him in the Minnesota game. How did you feel about him in the Kansas City game, Buzz? Yeah, it, particularly it was a different position. Playing as a 10 in the Minnesota game, he was high-pressing. He was breaking lines. He was playing combinations. Uh, Dallas missed all that against uh, Sporting because he wasn't in the middle, and he was up there on the wing and was just kind of okay. I mean, he had a couple of shots, but they were from way outside, and he didn't put any real effort on them. He's at his best just inside the box, that off-striker kind of positioning. You know, when he's on the left, you, I want him to be in more in there, and he wasn't. So uh, it was just a flat performance from him. I, you know, they still know where to put him. They really don't. It's like they don't. They just stick him wherever they have a hole, which doesn't do the kid any any justice, right? He's not battling anybody in particular to win a job and hold a job. They just stick him wherever. Um, you know, he's not really getting a chance to progress and develop at a single thing. So they're really they're doing him a disservice, honestly. It's not helping him to just do what they're doing with him. Yeah, and you know when you contrast that with the performance last night from 18-year-old Gianluca Busio, oh. who man, uh, Vermees has done that kid a tremendous service by just letting him play a little deeper in the midfield. He was, uh, you know, the several times I saw him play for Kansas City when they were trying to play him more as an attacking player, I just I kind of felt like he performed a lot like Jesus does for Dallas, and then they let him kind of come back and kind of play more of that middle part of the field. He was fantastic last night and he's only five foot seven and weighs like as much as my dog does wet and he was bossing the midfield last night and man I miss that out of some of our FC Dallas homegrowns yeah he covered so much ground he went the whole 90 minutes he beat everybody to the ball every single time it's not like he's hitting people hard I mean he committed four fouls but they're not necessarily crunching fouls right he just beats you to the ball wins all the duels the kid was remarkable I couldn't believe how good he looked and he's just a kid he's 18 or whatever man amazing player look at the uh look at their goal that was jesus makes that weird little flicky tried that just went horribly wrong it was a donkey touch he no that's that's a oh, ball a from touch. reto but, and he just that's just a donkey touch yeah um but you know next you know the ball just bubbles up and instinctively 
Busio's won the header already with Santos at five seven uh, Busio. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and just advance play that quickly. Ryan Holland's head still back by the halfway line by the time they've scored. It's yeah, and Tanner's Tanner's head was going in a spin in the circles, and so he got lost the track, and it was terrible. Yeah, and so watching that ball somewhere. And, yeah. and and the reason why I bring it up is is that for a club that prides itself on bringing up homegrowns and 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 playing with their own and 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 profiting out of that on the field, not financially. When was the last time? Tell me honestly, when was the last time you saw an FC Dallas homegrown player in the midfield boss a game like Busio did last night? Uh, sometime with Paxton last year in the first half of last season. Before he left for the World Cup. Yeah, I before he got that. hurt, yeah. I mean, it's Savania been literally... a couple games, second half, too. Oh, yeah, Savania second half of last year, sure. Okay, yeah. fair enough. But, man, that's but, what, that, that's the kind of performance yeah. we should expect uh, out of a Dallas homegrown game in and game out, whether it be Cervania or Paxson or, or... I mean, has Jesus ever played that well in an FC Dallas shirt for the senior team? I, I, I think so. I think he's had a couple. I mean, I, I thought he was really good in the Minnesota game. I mean, it wasn't as obvious. And it's a the, different position, different too, position, so maybe I'm you know, not a fair comparison. I, I think there's plenty of Dallas midfielders that have that kind of ability and talent. Busio just has a work rate and a quick burst that's rare, really rare, That how quickly he can get to the ball when it's loose like he does. That's what's so remarkable is that he was just – he cleaned up and picked up everything. That was so impressive. How and he did the whole game. He never quit. Even like when, when he had the fourth foul, and the ref finally was like, "Okay, well, he didn't have another foul after that." I think well, you have the, to kind yeah. of keep he, in mind as well. He was like, you know, ever since he was what thirteen, fourteen, he's been one of those top level prospects with like Paxton and Gio Reyna, like head and shoulders above your typical FC Dallas homegrown prospect yeah um and i think he's the guy that nicked the ball off of santos late in the game and almost created a winning goal for them uh and then santos was pissed off at the referee because he thought he'd been fouled but he just had the ball cleanly taken from him uh he was fantastic last night that was uh that was a lot of uh, fun to watch all right so they get the they get the point last night they're undefeated in the last four now they have to play now they get some time off they don't play again until next wednesday where they have to travel to minnesota buzz anything with with paxton out uh, obviously long term you're the one that has broken the news let's talk about that real quickly paxton apparently is done for the season at this point yeah that's what it looks like. I mean, the people I know that were telling me, but the information said he's having surgery. Now, Lucci backed off that a little bit and said that it's just possibly considering, but yeah, he's pretty much being shut down for the year. I'm assuming that he's going to have the surgery. Um, my sources on that were pretty good. So um, I, I think Paxton's done for the year. And so specifically in Minnesota, um, I think you'll get back to the three man back line again. You know, I think that worked um, in the second half. I think that worked. So I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't see that come in from the get-go on the road in Minnesota, that three-man back line, I think will be back. Well, it if could Hedges be interesting. Well, yeah, because if Hedges does have a concussion uh, and they're just not calling it that and they sit him out, Brian Acosta obviously is likely to be out because uh, you don't recover from quad strains in a week. And Fafa's hammy is also a question too, depending on how bad that was. Did we ever get a sense of how bad Pico's hammy uh, injury from the last uh, Minnesota game was? Well, they the words they used were sort of precautionary that he just sort of felt a little something. They didn't seem like they were really worried about it, but okay, you know, they didn't well, that didn't was play, so. that was far for to said that the team never really gave a comment. All they said is we're going to do an MRI. <laughs> All right, 
So you, there is a there is a scenario where Fafa doesn't play, Acosta doesn't play, Hedges doesn't play, and you've got to figure out what to do for goalkeeper going all the way to Minnesota. So yeah. how does that impact uh, uh, the situation? Well, without Hedges, I doubt you'd see a three-man back line, obviously. Your other choices are Nikosi Burgess, who probably is not ready. Um, I think Tanner Testament will be a great center back, but that's never happened. Um, Kyle Montgomery is with San Antonio and has a slight hamstring strain anyway. So you're really out of options. So if Hedges can't play, um, that's the, one of the problems in a bigger picture, by the way, of playing a three-man back line is you only really have four center backs on the team right now. Because mm. um, I don't think I don't think you would do it if Hedges can't go because you wouldn't want to throw Burgess in the fire like that. So it, it'll be up to you know they got a week to try and figure it out and we'll find out who's healthy at some point. But um, you know you're like I would assume that with um, Acosta being out um, with the midfield situation the way it is and no Paxton, there might be a good chance for Carte walks right into the starting lineup. Yeah, he was on the he was in the 18 last night yeah. and it and I don't know if there was ever any real thought he was going to play in the game. Obviously the way that it played out, he was never going to get on the field, but ha- have we heard anything uh any reviews has anybody seen him on the field at all? Do we have any sense of how good or bad this guy is? Well, the word I got is that he's legit, that he looks great in training, but you know, that's through my, you know, my my people that will talk to me. So, um th- a better review by the way than Frank O'Hara has gotten for what that's worth. I know it's not his performance, but did you notice uh, on the midweek call, Lucci was kind of gushing about his social integration with the team, something he really didn't do with Frank O'Hara? I did not, but that's mm. a good point. Yeah. I think just to be fair, we I think it's uh, it's not unfair for us to share that over the course of his time here, those of us who have talked to people that see practice and stuff like that, we don't, we have not gotten glowing reviews about Frank O'Hara uh, to point. Not uh, nothing terrible, but it's not like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is it unfair for me to say that? No, I think that's true. You know, it's hard for us to really commit to that heavily because we're not seeing him personally. Right. But, you know, we you talk to people, and I have not heard. Like I, I haven't got the oh man he crushes it in trend. You should see it. it's amazing. I kind of get the like the yeah yeah he's okay you know. And there's some reports of that I've gotten of him you know kind of just not really being 100 percent mentally in in it you know which is the opposite of what I've heard. Ricardo's only been there a couple of days and I already heard like oh yeah he's terrific you know great guy and and as a legit player he'll be in there right away. I mean you know so I, I think the I feel optimistic just from the word of mouth I'm getting. So we'll see. Okay, and I don't mean to keep dragging it out because we've been talking forever now, but it. But if Ricarte comes into this team, how does that impact the formation? Do they go back to a double pivot six and play five in the midfield, or, or what do you think Lucci does with this? Um, if Since they, he's a traditional 10, I mean, by yeah. all accounts, he's a true 10, like a Mauro Diaz. He's like two times as big as Mauro Diaz, but they play the same position very similar. Yeah, people say that, but when I watch the tape, I see a guy coming from deep late. So I, I think he's perfectly capable of playing the free eight, you know, the other eight position. So I think you could play this, the, the single six, double eight with him. I think that wouldn't mm, be a problem. Okay. But, you know, it, as again, it's come back to that idea of those three midfielders are kind of rotating. So which one it is is kind of like, you know, it, the, the eights take term dropping in next to the six. It's kind of a moot point. It'll basically be the same sort of rotating midfield. The big question is the three man back line or not, you know, will they, will they go with that look? Or I, I think Lucci prefers the four, three, three and whatever version you like of it. I think that's his preference. The three man back line is just 
to alternate and beat a specific problem. So I don't think you, I think you might see it in Minnesota, but in the long term, I don't think it's the goal. Dan, it's not unfair to say though, uh, that until Lucci feels comfortable putting Brian Reynolds out on the right side to replace Reggie, uh, there's going to continue to be a problem going forward because that that's a big part of their problem right now, right? Is their lack of fullback at, uh, uh, getting into the attacking third. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like Buzz mentioned, you break in two positions to fix one. And the funny thing is whenever they talk about it, they they say we did this because it's not breaking two positions. When it, you know, you've got Ryan Hollinshead talking about he's, you know, he's he's got to go against everything that's been instinctive for the past couple of years. You've got Johnny Nelson, who is a defense-first fullback, who is not a guy that, typically gets into the final third or typically really gets that far beyond the halfway line and you're you're having to egg him on to to do that and to the same struggles we saw with Reggie Cannon in in his first few games of when to time your runs forward and back and particularly on that left side for him because the left wing keeps changing every single game so you don't develop any chemistry yeah, we, I think we all think that Nelson, could, if you give him a year, he could play into it. He'd be fine, just like Reggie did, just like Brian Reynolds is going to have to do. That's the complaint is that now you have to do it on two sides because you moved Ryan, right? Yep, for sure. Well, and, all right, and you're potentially changing both wings as well as as well as trying to get those guys settled. So, you know, it, all all the cues suddenly go out the window every single game. Uh, and a couple of other notes before we wrap this up. Uh, so Minnesota, in Minnesota next Wednesday, game I think is at 7 or 7.30. Hold on, let me look. The game is at 7 p.m. And it is now on the widely available TX21, even for you cord cutters. Hallelujah. Uh, Reggie, let's talk real quick about Reggie. For nobody, uh, for those who have been living under a rock and have not been reading your coverage, Buzz, why don't you give everybody a quick update on what the Reggie situation is? Sure. Uh, and Dan has something to add, too. But the, the, I wrote the, my piece the other day, some confirmation of what some other people had sort of guessed, which was Le- the fact that Lille is the French team that was interested in him. And obviously, wow. there's a Lille-Boa Vista relationship through their owner. Um, the Boa Vista is not, not quite a feeder club, but there's a relationship back and forth there. Um, and the, the idea is that Reggie will be with Boa Vista for a season or two, probably two, because Lille has this $17 million right back, but they're in the business of buying and selling and they'll move him on eventually. So Reggie is in their mind, uh, as I understand it, the idea is that they'll get him in now for what, what is for them a relatively cheap price, but still more than Boa Vista could afford or the team in Belgium, uh, who I can never can't pronounce correctly, uh, that was also in consideration because it's like 20 minutes from from Lille as well. That, um, you know, th- that's the idea. And it's far enough along, obviously, that they finally pulled Reggie out of the lineup. So really, but it, it could be any minute. But is Reggie actually still in town or has he gone overseas yet? Well, I had been told that he was had gone, uh, that he was out of town at some point. Now, I don't know whether that was true or not. That part may have been wrong. But uh, Dan actually has more on that part. I know specifically. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so, um, in, yeah, like Buzz said, you know, the, the talk was he was out of town. He was at the game on Saturday. He was sat up with the non-participating players, and there was kind of a running bit with uh, Ryan Hollinshead and Brian Reynolds uh, saluting him every time they went on and off the field and doing the Johnny Manziel money gestures and all that. Um, 
We've seen some, um, did see in some of the training photos that FC Dallas have been putting out that he is still in practice. He is not actively participating in, you know, any of the game drills or anything like that. But, you know, on the fitness side, he's he's still doing the stuff that uh, isn't going to get him injured. Okay, so we'll keep everybody posted on that. Follow uh, Third Degree Net on Twitter for all the latest on your Reggie moves to Europe stuff. And then the other, uh, I, I see, so, uh, oh, North Texas is playing tonight. Uh, and, and they traveled to, did they go to Orlando? Is that where they yep. went? Orlando yeah. City B, yeah. Anything of note about that that we should know? Well, they kicked off about 30 minutes ago, and they're already winning one nothing. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about with them is that Thomas Roberts is there and um, he's really for the first time, he's really embracing those North Texas opportunities and the two games that he's played. I think it's two, maybe it's three now he's gotten better and better and better. And matter of fact, like I'm looking at the Twitter right now and I see them, the team twitting out something he did, you know, and creating a nice chances. So he's starting to boss those games which is what we've always said about him, that he needed to go down there, play like he's better than that league and boss that league, and he's starting to do that. So I really like the fact that Roberts is embracing those opportunities because Sylvania did it last year, Tessman did it last year, and it was good for them and it was good for the progression. And I feel the same thing about Thomas. It'll be good for him to progress if he, when he embraces those games. All right, well, go team. And then uh, Saturday marks the ninth anniversary of the untimely death of the great Bobby Ryan. I'm sure the FC Dallas front office, the Hunt family, Gina will have some sort of tremendous tribute at the ready uh, to throw out uh, on that anniversary, right? We can all trust for that to happen. Well, right? I hope so. Uh, you know, it, it's it's been a while now, and I don't know that I have anything profound to say about him other than this club still misses him every single day. Not just that we miss a good person that we liked. They miss him and what he did. Nobody connected with the community like he did. Nobody worked to make this team successful and build a fan, single-handedly try and build a fan base like Bobby Ryan. They've never replaced anybody in that community relations role, as far as I know. No. Um, certainly not in terms of his what he's actually doing, let alone just the position itself. His uh, work as the public-slash-media face of this club was so good and so powerful and effective uh, and they just don't have that. They've never replaced that. Uh, somebody that understood the game, understood the market, understood the fan base, um, and uh, could be put in front of the camera and, and do that right. He was so good at that. Um, and, yeah, we all miss him terribly. So hopefully the club will do make some sort of effort uh, to mark that uh, this year. It's the ninth. Next year is obviously the 10-year. And I can't believe it's been 10 years. That's crazy. Um, but, man, we miss that guy a whole bunch. Okay, so uh, we don't get to uh, see the team again until next Wednesday, so we'll record the next pod after that. At least now I don't have to try to recall two games. Uh, for one <laughs> Just be one for you, old man. Big John, <laughs> a big giant bonus for me. All right, anything else we want to throw out there before we uh, end this one? No, just as always, that if you like our podcast, you can support us at patreon.com slash third degree. There's no advertisers on this podcast, so uh, give, us, uh, give us a bone, throw us a buck if you like what we do. Uh, Dan, would you like to promote your OnlyFans page? Wow, that escalated quickly. Uh, <laughs> no, but coming soon, Luchi Ball. It's just uh, Quidditch without brooms. All right, the shirt. On Tee Public. <laughs> yeah. I'm buying one. Yeah. You better make it look cool because I, I will totally wear that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll promote oh, it's it. Too. Happening. Yeah. It's All happening. It's right. happening. Thank you, Dan. You're awesome. I appreciate your uh, humor and your quick wittedness. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate your dulcet tones that make us sound somewhat professional. 
Oh, uh, Buzz, thank you for all your hard work and effort. Good on you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week in another fun-filled, top-notch, world-class edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Quidditch. <laughs>